doctors are not facing the reality. The medical literature is still trying to censor papers out there. You know, I, I was caught up in a big censorship sh story this week uh, where I'm the senior author on the largest autopsy study of people who've died after the COVID vaccine. And this is by far the largest study and the top line results are 73.9% of the time by adjudication, the vaccine is the cause of death and these people have died. And uh, you know, this was uh, accepted uh, after two rounds of uh, review by the Lancet preprint server. It was getting hundreds of downloads per minute. It was, it was basically off the Richter scale in terms of interest worldwide and Elsevier or Lancet stepped in and they shut it down. If you've been paying attention, you know the global economy is transforming. The BRICS nations want to see the end of the dollar reserve currency, and many countries are joining their effort. The Western banking system is the most fragile it's been since 2008. The highly respected Weiss Research Group accurately provided advance warning on which banks are going to fail with 99.3% accuracy after the 2008 crisis. They are now predicting that a whopping 4,243 banks are vulnerable to failure, and 1,210 of those banks face imminent failure. When this situation comes to pass, it will dwarf the 2008 banking crisis. The only asset that has historically weathered a storm this severe has been precious metals. It has never been a better time to buy gold and silver to protect your family. Contact Miles Franklin at info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me and you will get the best service and the best prices on gold and silver in the country. That is a guarantee from them to me. Remember, info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me. Do this now to protect your assets and the ones you love. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Dr. Peter McCullough coming out of the program. We talk about a lot of things. He doesn't hold back. I've heard him on different interviews like Tucker Carlson or Joe Pags or whoever. And he, you know, he's, he talks about a lot of stuff, but it's, it's not as open as this is. So this is, you're going to hear a lot of things that you're not going to hear on some of those big podcasts. And he talks about it. He comes out, I ask him some difficult questions and he comes out. We also talk about the spike support and how that helps dissolve blood clots and the spike protein and how important that is for people. 15% of people are noticeably have issues from the vaccine. And then there's another big set of people that have issues that are lingering, that's affecting your immune system and you might not know too much. So you need to look at the spike support. You can go to twc.health slash Sarah, use a coupon Sarah and you will get 10% off. Do that and protect your family. You do not have to suffer alone. They also have a group of doctors that can help you that are educated on how to deal with the symptoms of the vaccine. So you do not have to suffer alone. So if you're in that camp, make sure that you go to that twc.health slash Sarah. Okay, let's get into this really fascinating discussion with Dr. Peter McCullough. Hi, Dr. McCullough. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I've been wanting to interview you for a while, and I'm so glad that you're on. I know you are good friends with my friend, Dave Janda, and know so many other people like Tom Rents and stuff that I talk to a lot. So I'm really glad you're on, but I have a lot to talk to you about today. I have to ask you, though, did you see my interview with Dave Janda on Courageous Discourse? I 
have it yet. It came through and I'm like, this is one I have to watch. Is there something that we all should know about that interview? No, there are so many bombshells. Everybody has to go to Courageous Discourse and watch it. I've been getting so much feedback because, you know, Dave was a Washington insider. Yes, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he worked closely with C.F. Recoup. He knew what was going inside Washington. And boy, did he drop some truth bombs. Everyone needs to watch it. Superhero Dave Janda. We're both graduates from the University of Michigan. Oh, excellent. So you guys are, know each other from back then. You didn't go to the same time, but you know well, each other. No, Dave's a little bit older than me, but, uh, uh, you know, we have the common ties of, uh, you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan, great place. Jeez. Yeah, it's a great place, but it has its politics are a little messed up right now. But yeah, I, I uh, Dave, Jana and I go way back now and I, I am on his show quite a bit and he's on mine and we just got to be friends over the years. He's just a great guy. He's he is a terrific, you know, doctor, uh, innovator, researcher, uh, sports medicine, injury prevention, uh, Washington advisor to see Evercoop. He has a storied life. His show is Operation Freedom. He's got a great website. Everybody should visit it. It's on the show notes for Courageous Discourse. Look at that interview I did with Dave Janda. Okay, well, excellent. Now, I want to talk to you about seven months ago. You were in front of Senator Ron Johnson's, you guys had a congressional panel. And one of the things that you said was that we needed to stop this vaccine and we need to create clinics to help the injured immediately, both things immediately. I did an article on that because I thought it was one of the most important things that was said at that time. And, you know, the media was silent, of course, but that was very important. Now that we're seven months later, how far are we into the vaccine being stopped everywhere and clinics being created to help the injured? We've made progress. So December 7th, 2022, I made the official call in the U.S. Senate, pull all COVID-19 vaccines off the market. I'm the only public figure who's made the official call. By the way, I'm the only public figure who questioned the vaccines in writing before they came out. I published an op-ed in The Hill in August of 2020, and that's for, for the House, the Senate, the White House, and I said the great gamble of the vaccine program. I was the only one to have position as a gamble, and boy, was it. You know what we've learned is the CDC vSafe data, 10 million people reporting into the system through their cell phone, 7.7% of people who take a shot, they have to go to the ER or be hospitalized afterwards within yeah, a day. That's just incredible. It's so toxic. These vaccines make people so sick. I mean, 7.7% is huge when we're talking about, you know, 75% of the country took a shot according to the COVID states program. I mean, that 7.7% you know, is a huge number. And then last uh, summer, a Zogby survey was done, a representative sample, 15% of Americans say they're sick now after the vaccines. They have some new medical problem, 15%. There's now 3,400 peer-reviewed papers on vaccine injuries, disabilities, and deaths. And they formed into four broad categories, cardiovascular, including myocarditis and, and heart attacks, um, neurological, stroke, intracranial hemorrhage, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, small fiber neuropathy, uh, hematologic, blood clotting, blood clots of all different types that we've seen. Uh, and then lastly, immunologic. 
So, uh, you know, medicine has changed. My entire practice now is handling these patients all day long. The progress we've made is that Janssen is now off the market. The original Pfizer and Moderna are off the market. So the original Moderna was 100 micrograms, probably a dose way too high. The current Moderna is 50 micrograms. So the original Pfizer and Moderna is off. Uh, Novavax is still on, rarely used, although Novavax, I think, is the safest of the vaccines for sure. It's the only non-genetic vaccine. Our CDC says that 16% have taken a booster at some time, at some time. Our CDC is not reporting who is current with the vaccine program. To be current with the program right now, uh, an adult would have would be on their seventh shot, their seventh shot if they're current. And I tell cool. you, I, I know a lot of people and I take care of a lot of patients. I don't know a single person who's had seven shots in the United States. Well, Harvard and I think it was uh, Berkeley and Yale, all these universities, the beginning of this year, this school year, were requiring kids to get current on their schedules. It's you, true. Even University of Michigan uh, had that ill-fated decision. You know, none of the university deans or provosts will take responsibility for that, by the way. That's no, no, my thing. Nobody knows who's accountable so, you know, I went to Michigan, my daughter went to Michigan State, so they're 60 miles away. Michigan State, no mandate, but yet Michigan had a mandate, but no one will declare responsibility. You know, we don't know uh, how many of the kids are using various kind of falsified vaccine cards, but that, that may be the case. And uh, that's great. Universities aren't checking. <laughs> I, I don't know. That but. would be great. Well, I, they're supposed to have the best you know, medical schools in the country, and they were still pushing it that long. I just, I don't, you start to question these universities and their competency when they start doing things like that. And because well, you well, knew they knew. Yeah, we're going to have some hard discussions. So in 2019, I was a visiting professor at Harvard School of Medicine. So I lectured in both cardiology and nephrology. I can't wait till they have me back. Well, do I'm you think say, they will? Listen, how many when will they have you back? Yeah, I'm going to say, how many of you took the shot? How many That's of you right. advise your patients to take it? It's in a brand new experimental genetic vaccine with no long-term assurances on safety. Okay, doctor, which one of you actually were supporting this? These doctors are going to have nowhere to hide. I mean, because the, these these observations are incontrovertible. Right. They could, could not have known if they're safe. They could not have known it because there was no previous track record. Well, University of Pennsylvania did some interesting studies. I was posting them as they were coming out and I was learning about them. They did it, their medical school before, maybe it was a rogue group, I don't know, but before when these vaccines were just coming out, they were recommending against it at the very beginning. So you know these schools knew it. They were silenced, I'm pretty sure, but they were actually saying this is not good. A Texas A&M survey, now it's actually probably a year old, as I recall, 96% of doctors took the shot. Uh, at that time, 90% were still supporting it. Uh, I, I'd imagine that has retreated considerably. Most doctors are now in shameful silence. They, they don't say they're wrong. You're not admitting they're wrong. We haven't even seen politicians admit they're wrong. So no one's admitting they're wrong. They're just shamefully silent. When do you think that'll end? I mean, my doctor can't even be silent. He died. He hit the oh. vaccine, killed him. Oh, you know, I Lord. ended up not having a doctor. It was just horrible. So when do you think 
that people will, I mean, they'll never admit what side they were on, but when do you think this will come out? Cause you have so many injured people. When will this turn around where the, the masses will admit how awful this was? I can tell you in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, we give some examples and it was 40 years for doctors to admit smoking caused lung cancer. Mm. Or doctors were advertising cigarettes. Doctors were smoking themselves in the operating room in the clinic wards. Oh, geez. Yes, 40 years. Now it's taken over 20 years for doctors to admit that opioids are powerfully addicting this opioid pandemic, which we contributed to is in fact, you know, in our house, 20 years on that. The, this won't be quick for doctors to, to admit they're wrong. They, they are going to go into a prolonged, silent, shameful period. And the most common response you'll have when you bring it up is they'll say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I think every person listening to this show should go make an appointment with their doctor and they should bring it up. And they should say, doctor, did you take these shots? Did you tell your patients to take these shots? And patients should say that they don't feel safe with the shots. I don't feel safe with the shots. And, and just leave it there. Don't argue the data, anything else. Just say you don't feel safe that the shots are safe, period. Yeah, they if doctors heard that, people. Yeah, if doctors heard that morning, noon, and night, they would change their, their view pretty quickly. But the, the patients are going to have to, to feed it to them. Well, that's a sad situation because that means that they're not reading the studies and they're not doing their job. It's true. Doctors are not facing the reality. The medical literature is still trying to censor papers out there. You know, I, I was caught up in a big censorship sh story this week uh, where I'm the senior author on the largest autopsy study of people who've died after the COVID vaccine. And this is by far the largest study. And the top line results are 73.9% of the time by adjudication, the vaccine is the cause of death and these people have died. And, uh, you know, this was uh, accepted uh, after two rounds of uh, review by the Lancet preprint server. It was getting hundreds of downloads per minute. It was, it was basically off the Richter scale in terms of interest worldwide. And Elsevier or Lancet stepped in and they shut it down. And they, they said, well, we don't think the methodology supports the conclusions. It was just, you know, we're using standard search methodology, standard adjudication. Uh, they literally just picked an administrative reason to censor the paper. Well, guess what happened? Ever since that, it was you know, Daily Skeptic caught it. They got everything up on their server. They did a story. There was a story on Daily Clout, um, you know, War Room, multiple shows, Clay Clark. And so, so now the paper has even more visibility now that this act of censorship happened, then if they, if they would have just left it up on the server, it wouldn't have gotten this attention. So the point is censorship is backfiring. And those who are doing censorship, they're not lose, lose, learning their lesson. They're trying to suppress information, but in actually, in reality, they're amplifying it. Well, if something's censored, that tells you that you should be listening to it. I mean, that's where oh, we're at today. That's sad. Yeah, people are emailing, where can I get the paper? You know, when something is censored, it's hot. It's hot. Yeah. And, and yep. you know who learned this early on? It's very interesting. Alex Jones. And, you know, I know Alex Jones pretty well in his, his InfoWars show. And, uh, you know, Alex uh, on his video says banned video right on it, banned. And so people are like, oh, why is it banned? I need to see it. 
So censorship actually backfires every time. And those people who are trying to do the censorship, they're not learning. No. Well, it backfires overall. It still it still helped them. They wouldn't have been able to implement the COVID nightmare without censorship because I know firsthand how much I was censored and what we were trying to get out there because there were treatments. When you were questioning that vaccine to Congress, what were you thinking when you saw that there were actually effective treatments? Because the law says you can't put out an experimental vaccine when there are effective alternative treatments. Two crimes were committed, and we outlined them in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, which I wrote with best-selling author John Leake. The crimes are fraud. Our government, public health agencies, medical uh, systems, doctors, they committed fraud. They actually misled yep. the country. And then the second crime is mass negligent homicide by suppression and undermining early treatment. Patients did not get the critical medicine and care that they received and because of that, some of them were hospitalized and died. And everybody who participated in that chain of events is guilty. So the doctor who basically told the patient there was no treatment committed fraud. And that's actually failure to treat. The pharmacist that didn't dispense the drug, and we had pharmacists refuse to dis dispense hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, colchicine, prednisone. It goes on and on and on. Uh, uh, they are in the line of culpability as well. We had um, suppliers play hide and go seek with monoclonal antibodies, which were safe and effective. Uh, all of them worked to undermine treatment. And in a survey by Verdkirk and colleagues, they showed the only Americans hospitalized and died sadly were those who were received no early treatment or inadequate treatment. The ones uh, who United paid attention. The yeah, ones who United, did what they told them to do are the ones who suffered the most. Yeah, that, well, listen, there were there were differing opinions. So the Infectious Disease Society of America said, don't treat it, wait till people get hospitalized. But the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons said, treat early. They used the McCullough Protocol. So we had a home treatment guide in place by October of 2020. So there were differing opinions, and, and which there are commonly different, differing opinions. What was wrong was censoring out information on early treatment. As we are making progress, we are making videos, doing scientific presentations. That was, uh, you know, that was a crime to censor critical information on early treatment. And, and then th this idea of just uh, 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 railroading people into mass vaccination. So you mentioned censorship. The other side of that was propaganda. Really, what we saw was government and public health agency and health system propaganda. And the propagandized message was the virus is unassailable, it's untreatable. The only thing we can do is wait in fear, lockdown, and be saved by a vaccine. That was the propagandized message. But they had an incentive behind that. There was an agenda behind that. And I did some documentaries on it way back then. They knew and there was an incentive behind it to do that. And so that's what because if there wasn't, they wouldn't have been attacking the treatments. They just wouldn't have acted this way unless it was. Or do you think did you do enough research or have you come to a conclusion that people actually did this organically? I think initially I told Tucker Carlson, I think there was if doctors were in such a grip of fear that when doctors were told, listen, you can't treat it, 
you can shut down your office and you can get paid the same amount and you can wait in fear for us to save the world with the vaccine. I think a lot of doctors welcomed that message. And it was a personal fear, fear for themselves and their staff that drove it. But later on, it was money. You are right. This COVID community core funding that came in from Biden HHS, stunning. Over 13 billion with a B flowed to doctor societies like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, American College of Pediatrics, American Medical Association, Hollywood, sports teams, churches, that money flowed and that money reinforced a message. And the message is be saved by a vaccine. The only thing you can talk about is the vaccine and you can't say anything against it. Well, and the PrEP Act, which was done, I believe, in 2016, got it all ready so they were prepared to go when this happened. Well, actually, you know, PrEP Act, the, the date on that 2005, it was 2005, oh, Congress okay. and HHS wrote PrEP Act. Now it was updated over time. You're right. And, uh, you know, it said, listen, we're going to be invaded by a virus or a bacteria. And they, they named it out. They named SARS and, and um, Marburg and anthrax and on and on and on. And they say, when it when this happens, it's going to be like a war. And everything we do is called countermeasures, which is a military term. And these countermeasures are going to be covered. They're covered countermeasures, meaning they are free of any liability. So anything listed as a countermeasure is, is basically immune. Well, there was a PSYOP expert that gave a um, uh, presentation at West Point talking about how you can shut down a community. You can debilitate them by giving them, by diagnosing the wrong treatment or the wrong disease and then giving them the wrong protocol. It seemed to match what was going on. It did. And there was a lot of wrong things, particularly in the hospital protocols. Boy, remdesivir, what a disaster. In November of 2020, the, the WHO said, stop using remdesivir. It's not working. People are getting kidney damage, liver damage. They revisited that decision in May of 2022. And they concluded we are right to begin with. European Society Critical Care agreed. Human but they knew that. Agreed. Yeah, do not use remdesivir. Do not use it. And when, when WHO said that, the federal HHS and the HHS committees of every state should have pulled remdesivir off the market. You know what the U.S. HHS did? They actually incentivized the use of remdesivir. Well, that's the crimes, right? And then if this is a two-part thing, they're either criminals or they're so incompetent that they shouldn't be in that position. We shouldn't have an organization like this dictating. I mean, you know. I fried the Texas HHS in, in uh, testimony. I said, who was on duty when the WHO said, do not use remdesivir? You should have had an emergency HHS meeting, called the hospital CEOs and get this stuff off the shelves. Instead, people sat in fear. They did nothing. They did nothing. And, and sadly, Americans were treated with this medicine. Some were harmed by it. And it's, it's clear that it should never have been used after November of 2020. Well, we would have been much better off if the government just stayed out of the whole thing yeah. and doctors did their thing. I mean, yeah. it, it, honestly, we really... if people received McCullough protocol or FLCC protocol, which were very comprehensive out, outpatient protocols, and they were just continued in the hospital, that's fine. You know, I treated patients in my practice with oxygen saturations in the 70s at home, elderly, people in their 90s. They, 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 we didn't need the hospital. 
the use of the ventilator uh, was largely not needed. It was an overreaction. Uh, people received minimal drugs in the hospitals. One of the reasons why they died, they got better care as outpatients than inpatients. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what we're dealing with now, because you're saying 15% of the people are who have had the vaccine. Are you talking the vaccine and the booster or just any combination? Are any injured? combination thereof. And remember now, a paper by Klassen and colleagues show that 94% of us have had COVID. So basically, almost everybody who's taken the vaccine has had COVID in addition. So we're all so safe had- from that. Yeah, they've had multiple exposures. The vast majority of people, you ask me, take the vaccine? Yeah, I took it. Did you get COVID? Yeah, I got COVID. So they've had multiple exposures of the spike protein. What we're learning is the spike protein is the spine on the surface of the virus. That's what gets stuck in the body and it makes people sick. And so if you get the viral infection, the spike protein is stuck in the body. One paper by Bruce Patterson, out to 15 months. The vaccine produces a ton of spike protein, more than the infection. And again, it gets stuck in the body. Paper by Bruce Patterson, as far as he's looked, nine months, tons of spike protein. So the human body doesn't seem like it can get rid of it. It can't break it down like other foreign proteins. And so we, you know, a breakthrough finding is by the Japanese, a product called natokinase. Natokinase is a, is a natural enzyme that's produced in the fermentation of soybeans and a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis natto breaks down the soybeans and, and this enzyme is derived. Japanese have been eating natto for about a thousand years for its health benefits. And now they've had it as a supplement for about the last 20 years. It's, a, it's a, available you know, really all over. And natto kinase dissolves blood clots. It dissolves the spike protein as shown in multiple studies, Tanakawa and colleagues, and now the anecdotes are pouring in and people are getting better after about three months of natokinase. So this That's is excellent. And I've news. been supporting you guys. You guys are the wellness company. You have the spike support and that's in there along with other things. What is in there along with that to help people who are suffering with this? You know, the, the probably the best in class product is Spike Support by the wellness company. I'm the chief scientific officer. I advise the company. And in there is natokinase. The dose we're using is 2,000 fibrolytic units or the equivalent of 100 milligrams of natto twice a day. But also selenium is needed for many uh, enzymatic reactions in the body. Iris sea moss, dandelion extract. All of these actually work to reduce inflammation or try to neutralize the spike uh, protein fragments. Uh, wellness companies coming out with a, ch- a, a childhood formula, a different enzyme there, but also dissolves a spike protein pepain. It's going to be chewable and the kids love it. That's going to be great. Uh, separately in my practice, I'm advising patients also take bromelain. Bromelain is derived from the, um, uh, the stems of pineapples, 500 milligrams a day, and then nano curcumin, which is derived from turmeric, 500 milligrams twice a day. All of these products have supportive data at the preclinical level. And in some cases, clinical level, there's actually a randomized trial with nano curcumin. Uh, Nano curcumin doesn't break down the spike protein, but it actually tries to neutralize some of the inflammation. Remember when people take a shot, they get a long-term installation of genetic code. We don't know how long the body keeps producing spike protein, but it may be forever. 
So, and so would they have to do this forever? I mean, is we, it, it dissolves? We don't know. We're, we're telling people, listen, let's take it three months at a time and let's look at blood tests. Now, uh, recently a company in vitro gen has just announced that they'll have a spike protein blood test. So we'll be able to measure the spike protein directly. That's going to be a huge advance. And uh, you know, we're going to have to refine our approach. I think it's interesting that SARS-CoV-2 is clearly man-made, right? All the U.S. government agencies now admit that the U.S., that was involved in the, in the creation of SARS-CoV-2 in the Wuhan lab. So it's man-made. Spike protein, clearly man-made. Uh, papers by Ralph Barrick, Vineet Menacheri anchored this in the literature into 2015. So it's clearly, you know, it was man-made. And I've tried all the drugs. I've tried every prescription drug I can. I, I think it's so interesting that the solutions are natural solutions that people can buy themselves, like wellness companies, spike support, and now kids spike support, uh, and you, you know, elsewhere you can buy bromelain and nanocurcumin. Now we could go on and on. There's a, there's a long list of other things that one can use, but I think, I think there's a fatigue of taking a zillion supplements. So that's right. Recent recent paper I have under review, I have it focused pretty much on the three major, the three major components. Well, that's excellent. I know I've had different people on, like Sherry Edwards and. Um... Uh, others that talked about bromelain back in the day, uh, you know, right. There were so many good people that were coming forward and saying, Hey, we figured some things out and their solutions. What's different about the spike support is you guys all put it together and said, this is it. So I, I think that's just a wonderful thing, but let's talk about 15%, but now are there underlying immune system issues that are lingering? Cause that's what people are worried about is, all these other people that have gotten the shot or been exposed to it through shedding may have immune system problems that they're not aware of that's going to rear their ugly head. Boy, you hit the nail on the head. Paper by Shretha and colleagues, Cleveland Clinic. This is a disaster. They, they know the vaccine status of all the employees. Now, the good news is the unvaccinated are the best. They have the lowest risk of recurrent Omicron infections. And with each shot, there's more and more infections. <laughs> so the shots are backfiring. The process is called immune imprinting and uh, a specific um, uh, um, change called IgG4 subclass switching. Essentially, the body is being fooled by getting repeated in genetic injections of an, an obsolete uh, genetic code. And so the virus keeps mutating far in advance of Pfizer and Moderna. They can't keep up. So people are getting obsolete shots that in a sense is misdirecting or weakening the immune system and they're getting sicker and sicker. Well, some of these people are getting them and they're not sick. Is it just a ticking time bomb in a lot of these people's bodies? Because cancer rates are going up and fertility's going up. There's so, so many other issues that are just sitting lingering. Well, let's just look at what's going up. Cancer is skyrocketing for sure. And we'll just leave it there. There's got to be an explanation. Uh, cardiovascular disease right now, skyrocketing. Blood clots, skyrocketing. All-cause mortality through the roof. Fertil infertility is going up. Fetal loss uh, uh, rates are excessively high. The CDC just reported record maternal mortality. We've seen more women die during pregnancy or 42 days after than in many years. So the data are all going in the wrong direction. The question on the table is how much of this is related to 
lockdown, social distancing, COVID, and the vaccines. And you know, it may be it may be all of the above. You know, the only thing I can tell you is it looks like the virus was pretty much unavoidable. The vaccines were avoidable. The lockdowns were avoidable. So the you know the avoidable stuff is is really what we're concerned about now. Uh, what we're understanding here is that uh, a, a very important paper by Schmeling and colleagues was published. It gets to your question. And this is remarkable. There were three groups of batches. The low risk group of batches, that is, uh, you know, the, the, the big volume uh, batch made of, let's say, Pfizer, for example, gallons and gallons of the, of the vaccine. The low risk batch, 32% of cases, zero side effects, nothing, zero. Some people took the shot. They didn't even know they, they, they didn't get a sore arm. It's like nothing happened. Now there was about uh, another 60% group two where there, there was some modest side effects, but it didn't, it, you know, they didn't skyrocket over time. And then sadly, 4.2% group three through the roof, blood clots, uh, stroke, uh, uh, seizures, sudden death. I mean, it was just the most toxic uh, of all time. So 4.2%, that's pretty close to the 7.7% data I gave you in VSAFE where people get sick and go to the hospital. And so we've got a batch problem. We've actually got a product problem. Senator Ron Johnson wrote the CDC and the FDA on this last year in 2021, based on some preliminary VAERS data and the CDC and FDA blew them off. They said, no, there's not a batch problem. Now we got the Schmeling paper, which had every lot of Pfizer and they had every complication and they nailed it. So we have a product problem. Now, thankfully, a third of people, it's essentially like getting nothing. Another two thirds are fine outside of a sore arm, but there's 4.2% where the vaccine has been, it's actually changed their life. Sadly, it's taken lives and it's all due to a product quality problems. Is either the vaccines are hyper-concentrated messenger RNA, I think that's most likely because it looks like spike protein related death, uh, contamination with uh, cDNA. Now, SV40 has been identified as a contaminant. SV, SV40 is a sequence of DNA that's actually a gene promoter. It's actually a cancer gene promoter. That's recently been identified by Dr. Kevin uh, McKernan. He's testified in the US FDA on this. So this is all public record. Uh, or we've got some other contaminants. Now, the Japanese have returned millions of doses because there's visible debris in the bottom of these vials. I mean, that's how poorly they're manufactured. Under the emergency use authorization, they get no inspections of the product for quality, purity, or safety. None. None. This is important. Pfizer Moderna, no, Pfizer Moderna have never inspected what's in their vials because their products are made by biodefense contractors. Yeah. So the companies themselves are, in a sense, marketing shields. They don't even touch their own vaccines. Vaccinated or not, toxic spike proteins pose a long-term threat to your health. The top doctors at the wellness company have introduced a revolutionary spike support formula that is the only product that contains ingredients that block and dissolve spike proteins inside your body. The powerful formula has been shown to dissolve spike proteins and blood clots, and it works to help your body repair from other potential damage. This amazing formula is also much less expensive than buying each ingredient separately. That's because the wellness company puts you 
and your needs first. Use the link below or go to sarahwestall.com under shop to buy your daily spike support. It's time to protect you and your family against the effects of COVID, vaccines, and shedding. Again, use the link below or buy at sarahwestall.com under shop. No, because I had a Pfizer person who did who was responsible for doing the quality control on what goes through and they completely changed their protocols and she blew the whistle on it because it wasn't they weren't following even what their normal protocols were and so that makes sense that they were they had to have directed it from above yeah so yeah my understanding is the military was really involved the dod was involved in that and so what does that mean I mean, this is oh. a bigger deal. Well, you've already talked about the PREP Act. The PREP Act is a military act. It, it says a pandemic will be like a military invasion. And we learned uh, on the DARPA, which is the research uh, division of the military, on their website, you can go there today and type in the ADAPT P3 program. In 2012, DARPA announced they will use messenger RNA to end pandemics within 60 days. That was the US, the US military. That's long before Pfizer and Moderna and the Chinese. The US military have been uh, involved with messenger RNA in a paper by Lalani and colleagues, British Medical Journal outlines this. The United States has had a love affair with messenger RNA since 1985 because it's kind of quick and dirty genetics. Once you know the sequence for something, one can produce messenger RNA on a computer screen and, and then literally crank it out. And, and so, but, but it's never found an application. It can't seem to replace normal proteins very well. Its first application as a vaccine has been a disaster because of autoimmunity and an uncontrolled expression of a lethal protein. Now Moderna says they have dozens and dozens of messenger RNA products. And I can't imagine, for instance, influenza being a messenger RNA vaccine because influenza you know, it is a it is a shot right now. It's basically a a killed vaccine or live attenuated vaccine shot, but it's benign. It's essentially a benign shot. Um, now we have a situation where let's let's say the hemagglutinase, which is on the surface of the virus, that's the spike protein of flu. Can you imagine suddenly taking a flu shot and then dying like a COVID shot? I, I, I mean, that's what will happen, right? It's, it's going to be so risky. But why are they doing this when they know better? I mean, that in itself, even going forward at all, is a criminal act. They seem to believe that at this point in time, safety doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is their revenue. And, and, and even the FDA is involved. The FDA is giving expedited approval pathways, let's say for respiratory syncytial virus, uh, rotavirus, um, influenza, it's not needed. I mean, there's no, there, well, there's used no to care. RSV. Yeah, I'll break. I mean, I mean, at this point in time, you know, good sanitation, good hygiene, living conditions, uh, we don't have these diseases anymore. So, so the, you know, this calls into the question of, of whether or not we need any vaccines at this point. Yeah, that's right. And when they used to care if a vaccine killed a lot of people, they took it off the market right away. What What do you think of HARPA? Like I did a, a thing on HARPA paper and I did a, an article and a little documentary on HARPA that was created to take what was under Anthony Fauci and everything and match it to what DARPA is like, but create a whole health ARPA 
you know, off of DARPA, move Anthony Fauci and all that stuff under HARPA. I've, I've been tracking that not as closely as you have, but a lot of it ha actually has to deal with information. And, you know, do we want our military research engines uh, managing health information, privacy, how things are going to be um, portrayed to people, uh, informatics, bioinformatics, for instance. Uh, I think it's a giant overreach. The military needs to get out of the biological space. And it, it, what we've learned is that biological threat and then countermeasure development is big business in the military. There's tons of contractors. They're all pushing for more grants, more money. And we don't hear about uh, weapons systems anymore. We don't hear about anti-aircraft um, uh, weapons systems anymore. We hear about bio labs. That's right. That's what's going on. Well, I've had General Valley on just this past week, and he talks about that being, you know, one of the dimensions of warfare. We're very, it's very serious. Jeffrey Brown, who I don't know if you know, I, I have a censored conference that I do, and Janda's uh, one of the advisors on it, and we're, and Tom Rents is one of the board members. But Jeffrey Brown is going to be speaking in Act Three, and he's been a researcher in China and Ukraine, and he was the first one years ago to talk about the bio labs in Ukraine and how they're all over Ukraine. I mean, so a big part of this underlying what's going on in Ukraine is this bioweapons nightmare. It is. It's a nightmare, and, and people are not trustworthy. Uh, do you know that um, that the, the collaboration was University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, a Swiss Institute, an NGO called Eco Health Alliance, led by Peter Daszak, Anthony Fauci, Nayad, Francis Collins, NIH. They were all working in this program of actually trying to do gain-of-function research with making SARS-CoV-2. And in the Barrick papers, it says, we know this is gain-of-function research, and it's been grandfathered in because we started before gain of function was a banned. And then we're just going to outsource it to the Chinese. And so in the Barrick papers, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was just level three, BSL level three. And it says right in the papers, it's BSL level three, but we tried to wear extra gowns and what have you. It wasn't even at the level of a biosecurity for lab. And so there's no quality control. We learned that Boston University in the last year, uh, a BSL-3, was doing chimeric work on SARS-CoV-2. So they they had taken the spike protein off of Omicron and put it on the original um, Wuhan strain to make it more infectious. And they declared that as a victory. Like, aha, we, we made the virus worse. And everybody in Boston is saying, great. Now, if you have a lab leak in your lab, we're in trouble. So we need to ban all the biological uh, threat programs all over. The, the people are not competent. The military is not competent. NIH can't ensure safety on this. It's basically been a disaster. And the whole world got sick because of a U.S. project in Wuhan, China. Yeah. And you wonder if they knew about it. I don't know. I, I can be a conspiratorial on this, but when you start seeing some of the behavior before it came out and the way the World Economic Forum was talking about resetting the entire global world based on COVID, you start questioning, the, did they know about it for crying out loud? Well, I think here's the biggest scandal at hand right now is CDC Director Redfield, now is testifying in Congress 
saying, yeah, the virus got out of the lab much earlier in 2019 than, than what is being reported. Then a Chinese whistleblower just came out last week, Xiao Kao, who used to be at University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. And his boss, who's also at UTMB, now it's GlaxoSmithKline, when they were back in China in 2019, what Kao says is his boss gave him four strains in February of 2019 and said, find the most infectious and lethal strain. In February of 2019, that's what, he's, that's what his public statements are. The question is, well, what did he do next? Did, he, did they test it on human populations? Did the military test it? Did they release it in Wuhan? Uh, but what we've learned is when event 201 was done in the fall of 2019, that was actually not a planning meeting. That was an operational meeting. That's the reason why George Gao, the head of the CDC, he went over to event 201. And we had U.S. senators at event 201. We had, event 201 was a very serious meeting. And you know who was there? Assigned with George Gao on a scenario, Averill Haynes. Averill Haynes is our current director of national intelligence. And she is a very active member in the World Economic Forum. Listen to this. Their scenario was, what do we do if the virus came out of the lab? How do we deceive the world You know, on a different explanation for this? And through social media, we have it. That was the thing. Now, uh, the U.S. Congress three months ago voted 419 to zero to declassify all the U.S. documents since the National Security Administration, the CIA, the FBI, CDC, Department of Energy. They all say that they were involved in the Wuhan lab. They all say that on their website. So uh, our Congress voted 419 to zero. Biden signed off on it. Deliver the documents. Let's see what the heck the U.S. was doing in the lab. Averill Haynes has still not released the documents. She is not. Josh Howley, Senator, just wrote her and said, listen, you're 10 days late. Where is the dossier? So Averill Haynes looks like she's a World Economic Forum operative. And she's and she's basically taking her orders from Klaus Schwab or Tedros or someone within this biopharmaceutical complex that we write about in our book, Courage to Face COVID-19. She's obviously not answering to Josh Hawley or even President Biden. Well, I've had FBI whistleblower Nate Kane on, and he was talking about how just the FBI and intelligence agencies are stonewalling Congress, Josh Hawley and others. So they're not bringing this information forward and people, right. they just aren't. And then General Valley just told me in the last interview that only 15% of what Congress can actually do can affect the deep state and what they do. They're, they're such a rogue organization. 85% of what they do, Congress has no ability to do anything about it. That's what General Valley just said on my radio show. It's true. Show. And do you know that both the House and the and the Senate are complicit in this? Uh, do you know during COVID, the budget was massively increased? And the vast majority of the budget pays for more deep state positions. Yep. And guess what happened? After a COVID emergency is dropped, they didn't reduce the budget back down. I so know. So if anything, That's through COVID, the, the deep state is expanded. There's more IRS agents. There's more intelligence community people. And on and on, consultants, consultants now with government contracts that are carrying out this false agenda. So what do we do? I mean, I know you're fighting it every day and you're on the forefront and you're probably the biggest name in the forefront. And I don't think you planned on that. You just kind of got thrown into it. It was probably pretty painful along the way, especially initially. At least you're being, hopefully you're being rewarded now a bit. But what do we do? 
The only court that's open is the court of public opinion. And independent media like your show cannot be stopped. No one's watching mainstream media anymore. It's dying quickly. People don't subscribe to even cable TV. So this false narrative going through the mainstream media now, nobody's listening to it. People are gravitating to independent media. And uh, and this is one of the great good things that's coming out of the pandemic. No one has even had the courage to even send me an email or a text or a phone call saying they disagree with me. No one. No one actually has the courage to tell me they disagree with me. I've testified three times in the Senate. I co-moderated two long sessions. 90 days in advance, we invited Fauci, Walensky, Ja, Murthy, task force members. Nobody showed up to face me. They won't face me or doctors because they know we hold the truth. And what we're seeing is silence and shame from the other side. And so I say we, we remain bold, relentless, uh, pursue the truth uh, with great clarity and dispassionate uh, discussion. Uh, two weeks ago, I communicated with Joe Rogan and with uh, Robert F. Kennedy. I said, listen, I'll debate Hotez. Uh, you know, I'm senior to him. I've got about 685 listings in National Library of Medicine. Hotez at 500. Standard professor is 25. But he's in my league. I'd be happy to go down and sit down with him and go over vaccine safety. We've got 3,400 papers on what happens to the human body after we take a COVID shot. Hotez has not mentioned a single paper on safety. And, and so what Guess are we what? looking at? Go ahead. Guess what? Hotez is not going to show up in Austin to face me. Of course not. They want their cowards. So, but this problem, and after you've kind of been exposed to COVID in, <laughs> in a slight way, I think you were overexposed. Um, what did that teach you about vaccines in general and the censorship on this issue for decades, maybe since the 80s, for sure? The straw that broke the camel's back was the ACIP, uh, CDC Childhood Vaccine Committee, when they recommended the COVID vaccines be added to the routine childhood schedule starting at six months of age. When that group made that decision, a lot of alarm bells went off and people said, wait a minute, if they think the COVID shots are safe, maybe we should look at all the other vaccines. Maybe, That's right. maybe the same group, maybe they've made the same error. And sure enough, uh, what we found is just a disaster. Uh, we have seen an acceleration of the vaccine schedule, particularly since 1985, when there was immunity provided to manufacturers, more and more shots put in combination. There's now about 200 studies showing that perturbations of the immune system are related to neuropsychiatric disorders during development, like attention deficit disorder, Asperger's, autism spectrum disorder, other cognitive and movement disorders, because the collected acronyms called ESSENCE. Uh, it, it's an absolute disaster. Uh, even combining diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis markedly increased the risk of febrile seizures and death in a paper by DeLong and colleagues uh, several years ago. Uh, we're now at about 800 papers now on childhood vaccine safety, and it's not good. The conclusion is it looks like the vaccines have backfired. They haven't done much in terms of saving us from anything because good sanitation and hygiene dropped levels of diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, polio, measles. Everything was dropping before the vaccines even came. So we can't ascribe any medical victory to vaccines. But every vaccine seems to have 
a, a consequence. I mean, recently, Robert F. Kennedy was challenged by a smug doctor at a town hall meeting. It's on my Substack. His name is Tariq Butt. And he said, well, vaccines have saved millions of people. And he named all these vaccines. And he, he specifically mentioned the chickenpox. So Kennedy, who really knows the data, said, okay, chickenpox, let's talk about that. You're right, chickenpox vaccine has dropped rates of chickenpox, but it's increased rates of shingles. That's right. So it's like, there's no free lunch with these vaccines. And so, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, 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 the word anti-vax doesn't apply. What's happening is people are becoming vaccine risk aware. We're now aware of the risks. Three papers published, one by Hooker, Miller, and um, Thomas, all show now the kids who go natural, who take no shots at all. In modern day contemporary America, they have lower rates of uh, childhood diseases like asthma, allergic uh, rhinitis, um, allergic uh, uh, dermatitis, need for tympanostomy tubes, sore throats, and lower rates of neuropsychiatric disorders like autism, ADD, et cetera. So a recent Kaiser Family Foundation survey said uh, uh, about 70% of, of, of adults who, uh, you know, they didn't take the COVID shot, uh, roughly half of them are saying, you know what, we're going to skip all the vaccines for our kids now. So I think you're going to see a big wave of, of children going natural, and it'd probably be a good thing. I think so too. Well, you know, I've done some shows with different doctors and scientists over the years that have been heavily persecuted because they've come to those conclusions and they have been censored and abused and sued and doctors have been killed and whatever. Have we gotten past that threshold now? Was COVID like a awful, but in disguise where could get us past that threshold where people like you who can speak so adamantly about it, RFK Jr. maybe having a chance to be president. Have we gotten past that point now where we can actually solve this and deal with it? We need to, yeah. I just simply discuss the papers. I, 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 you know, I commit things to memory. I'm a, I'm a clinical scholar, and I cite the data. My courageous discourse Substack is pinpoint. I have every statement referenced, and so I've gone through this. You know, among contemporary uh, pertussis and measles outbreaks, for instance, you know, a large proportion are fully vaccinated. So it's obvious they, they don't work. The same thing is true for Haemophilus influenza B. There was only 77 cases of serotype B in the United States. So it's, it's not a common disease over 15 years. And I think three quarters of them were vaccinated. So it's like the vaccines don't stop these illnesses anyway. Um, so I think what's going to happen is there are going to be a lot of people going natural. And there's going to be a lot more attention to, to clinical indication of medical necessity. Let me give you another example. You know, if there's an active IV drug abusing uh, mother with hepatitis B, the baby needs a hepatitis B shot on day one to prevent vertical transmission. But that's the only clinical indication by which the baby needs the shot. Do you know every American child for nearly 20 years now has gotten a hepatitis B shot on, on the day of birth? It's not needed. It's simply not needed. And so we're seeing this excessive vaccination. You know, the measles vaccine came in when I was a kid, the um, uh, German measles, the rubella vaccine. It turns out, you know, little boys don't get significant rubella. There's not a single boy who ever needed a rubella shot. It was only girls as they approached the childbearing years. So we ought to have a much clearer risk stratification instead of going for more and more shots. We need to go for fewer and fewer shots and have it be much more 
targeted. I think for a lot of the respiratory pathogens, the only kids where it would make sense to actually do it would maybe be cystic fibrosis or congenital diaphragmatic hernia. There's some pulmonary impairment. A normal child, let's say diphtheria and pertussis, we treat it with a Z-pack. I mean, measles is so easily supportable. It's largely a skin rash, a chicken pox, skin rash. So, so we, we just the vaccines are overkill at this point in time. I, that's an understatement. Okay, let's talk about RFK Jr. here before we wrap up. He is a courageous man taking on the big pharma that is past time to take him on. But when we're talking the deep state, it's broader than big pharma. Do you think that taking on big pharma is enough or is it the the big first step that we need to take? Yeah, I, I look at it, I'm I'm here to help all the presidential candidates. I think they all need help. I think there's 15 on the Republican side now and there are two on the Democratic side. Boy, do they need help. What we need from all the candidates, and none of them are doctors, so they don't have the education I have, they don't have the kind of strength of thinking that I have. Uh, what we need from them is they need to start behaving like presidents, and they need to you know, stop trying to litigate little details and, and you know, not this one-upmanship. We need to know broad areas of foreign policy. Uh, you know, how are they going to handle domestic affairs, the, the economy, uh, education, uh, energy, transportation? We need to get back to basics right now. We're seeing the candidates get off in these little squabbles, right? So uh, DeSantis is trying to sue Disney, and, and Kennedy's trying to get into a debate with Hotez. It's not that those aren't presidential activities. Uh, we need to hear, we need to see much more presidential actions. And all of these presidential candidates, it's not about them anyway. It's about the team they install. So we ought to hear about who's going to be on their team. But what type of team are they going to install? The president, him, him or himself or herself, they don't do much. The, the country actually runs itself and it actually has to do with executive abilities of that person and you know how they use the vice president and speaker of the house, et cetera. So we're just not seeing that right now. I think all of them need help. And I just hope they, I hope they all get on track. We need to evolve, don't we? <laughs> we have a major need to evolve and be smarter on how well, we run know, this. There's on my Substack today, uh, we have a piece out on Trump. And, uh, you know, Trump, maybe you could look at him as he evolved, right? So he's had four years of experience as a president, now four years out, he's been looking at things. And, uh, you know, Trump is, uh, he gave a fiery speech a few weeks ago, and he, he really was taking on globalism. He was taking on the deep state. Uh, he was clearly undermined by people in the White House, including Anthony Fauci, Deborah Brooks, us all in our Courageous Discourse Substack. Uh, so I think everybody needs a fair evaluation. There's some people who say, oh, you know, they'd never consider Trump, right? Um, uh, uh, or they've never considered DeSantis. I think everybody ought to be open-minded. The strongest voters are always independent voters. Don't forget. The strongest voters are independent because A, they consider issues. They consider each candidate separately. The weaker ones are pure Democrats and pure Republicans. We always look for the independents for strength. So I personally, I'm an independent I'm going to be much stronger than any straight Democrat or Republican. Why? Because the independent has the strength to make intelligent choices and not get caught up in all this tribalism. That's so right. I say I'm an independent too, because I want to look at the issues and it seems so dumb yeah. to get caught up into this cult behavior. 
And we got to get to just the issues and look at that. We're not going to solve problems unless we're looking at the issues in right. a in a cleaner, unbiased way. I, I completely agree. It's the way to go. More people ought to get out there and say they're independent. And they ought to tell the candidates, get out there and earn my vote. This idea of, oh, you're in a base. You're in a base camp for such and such. No, nobody's in any base camp for anything. Every, everything on its own merit. Nothing should be automatic right now. And uh, we ought to get up. Republican National Committee sent me something yesterday about issues. You know, One of the biggest issues on my mind was not on their questionnaire. So I wrote it in. And that was pulling the vaccines off the market. Republican National Committee right now is writing people about all these issues, but they are not bringing up the vaccines, which is the biggest thing where people have lost their job. They've been injured, diseased, lost their military career. And the Republican National Committee is not bringing it up. Well, that tells you there's more ties than we, than we have a lot of work to do is what that we tells do. you. Okay. Well, where can people follow you and, and they need to be following you. So where do they go? Got a big following. Go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you everywhere. I'm, I have the biggest doctor account on social media of doctors who see patients. Uh, my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, five-star bestseller. You can read it about two and a half hours. Really well written. It's actually a really fun story to read. You know, How did I set all the records on Joe Rogan? Take Tucker Carlson down this path for two years where he uh, loses his position at Fox. It's all in the book. And um, you know, my, my my Substack, Courageous Discourse, top medical Substack out there every day, videos, graphical abstracts, uh, updates. I write it with bestselling author, John Leake. Uh, my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, interview great people from all over the world, 2 p.m. Saturday and Sunday Eastern, and then it's on the Apple iHeart Podcast Network. I am so independent. I'm on so many platforms. I cannot be stopped. And you know this biopharmaceutical complex? They know it. That's they know awesome. It. I got to get on your podcast. You got to interview me. <laughs> I want to. Yeah, I want to. You know, it, it's um, it's the type of thing where when someone gets, remember, uh, you know, the downside of Tucker Carlson was his Fox contract. So yes. in a sense, they were able, so he's trying to reemerge on Twitter. So, you know, employment is a trap and yes. people are now looking for independent minds, independent media superstars. And there are a lot out of them. Good, I'm a good friends with Dan Bongino. Just went on with uh, Clay Clark. I know Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, after he's done with me, uh, you know, was a little sweaty uh, and nearly lost his Spotify contract. So I think all the big podcasters and people have learned they bring on Dr. McCullough. They'd be better be ready for the truth. And some, <laughs> of them, some, some of them won't have me on. I'll tell you, a local guy in Dallas who's afraid to have me on, Glenn Beck. Oh, that's too bad. I've if heard I, that he's it's probably he's... not him. It's his producers terrified. That's that's too bad. But you know what? I've been doing this for a while before COVID. And I'm telling you, it's a rough road. I've been killed off every single platform. I'm growing again. But that's because I covered the issues you're covering now yeah. before. And it it was hard. You can't be stopped. You can't be stopped. No. The truth will always rise to the top. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on. <laughs>